Okay, cool. Ooh. <clears throat> All right. Yay. Okay, beautiful. So shall we just go ahead and get started? Yeah, let's get started. Yep. All righty. Well, hello and welcome to Queering Ability, a podcast from the Coalition for Sexuality and Gender Identities and the Coalition for Disability. In this endeavor, we hope to amplify the voices of queer individuals with a disability or who identify as having different abilities. Furthermore, these individuals are student affairs practitioners, researchers, higher education faculty, and higher education administrators. <clears throat> this space is meant to highlight, honor, and celebrate their stories navigating the intersections. Today, we have Val Irwin. Val has been working at Women and LGBT Center for the last 10 years. Um, her interests span the intersections of disability, gender, sexuality, and sexual violence with college students and broadly college access for underrepresented students. She has a master's in higher education from Iowa State, hey, so do I, um, and her bachelor's in history from Michigan State University. She's been a consultant with the Michigan Disabilities Rights Coalition for the last 12 years, focusing on women, youth, education, and leadership. In her free time, she works part-time at the Holocaust Museum, or at a Holocaust Museum, leads a community disability group, enjoys playing bar trivia and knitting. Hello and welcome to the podcast today. Hello. Hello. We're super excited to have you on. Um, and if you would just like to start off by telling us about yourself. Hey. Um, so um, my passions are disability and gender and sexuality and really anything that connects with disability. Um, I currently work at Southern Methodist University in a women and LGBT center, but um, will be starting my PhD program at Bowling Green uh, State University in Ohio in the fall, which is why my um, my uh, bio is a little bit more vague on what exactly I'm doing because I wasn't sure when um, kind of we would be posting this and where I would be necessarily. Um, and yeah, it's just since my undergrad, well, really since since as long as I can remember, I've been very interested in disability. And then when I started coming out, sexuality and LGBT stuff just became such an important part of looking at what those two things together look like. Absolutely. Uh, well, congratulations. Bowling Green is amazing. Some great friends and colleagues that are there currently. So that's exciting. Congratulations for that. Thank you. Congratulations. Yeah. And I'm a terrible host or co-host, I should say. I forgot forgot to introduce myself. Uh, my name is uh, Wayne Glass, he, him, his pronouns, and I currently uh, serve in residential life at McAllister College in St. Paul, Minnesota. And if my co-host wants to introduce themselves. Absolutely. Uh, so uh, forgive the voice. I uh, am completely stuffy and it's the middle of allergy season, as I'm sure all of y'all know. So. Uh, but my name is Spencer Scruggs, uh, and I work at Florida State University as a disability specialist within the Student Disability Resource Center there. You know, I wish it was allergy season here. It's mm. currently going to get a – we're going to get a foot of snow this weekend. 
So. Oh my gosh! Wow. <laughs> so, uh, oh, and it, um, my pronouns are he, him, his. Uh, I'm a little jealous. I'm like still wearing my winter coat. But <laughs> anyway, diving back in. So Val, if you uh, want to talk to us about like what you do on your day to day work life and your interaction with students and what your uh, like I said before day to day profession looks like. Okay. Um, so I work as um a program advisor or kind of an interim director of a women in LGBT center. Um, so I do a lot of different work in bar in regarding women and LGBT stuff, advocating for policy uh, changes, responding to crisis regarding sexual assault, domestic violence and uh, disownment, um, doing programs, events, trainings, a lot of really random stuff. Um, also, I realized I did not say my pronouns when I first got started, and I go by either she, her, or they, there, they, there. Um, and yeah, so it's a lot of random um, is probably the biggest similarity in everything that I do. <laughs> Nice. Thank you so much. Yeah. So I know that we talked a little bit about this in your bio, but what brought you into higher education, student affairs and disability work? Um, so when when I was looking at colleges and universities, I was really looking for a place that had a disability student organization on the college campus. I got super involved in disability activism at Michigan State. Um, our space uh, shared an office with the women's organization and the um, LGBT organization at the time. And so we were kind of, a, we did a lot of interacting together. And then through that experience of just sharing offices, I started coming out as more than just this disability activist, but also doing LGBT activism and mm -hmm. this LGBT stuff. Um, and then I started like I went to Iowa State because Nancy Evans was there and I wanted yes. to stuff. And so she was <laughs> there and started working in a women's center. And it was just this continual like move towards these intersections of disability and sexuality and gender and race and a lot of different ways of looking at primarily through a lens of disability, but then through through that lens, looking at all these different intersections. Um, and that's continued through everything I'm doing now and then uh, what I hope to research in my PhD program, which is disability and sexual assault. Wow, awesome. Yes, all right. Thank you for sharing that. Now, what, like, what keeps you motivated? And I recognizing that working on identity-based work, especially when we have a shared identity with the students that we're serving, it can be emotionally, physically, and spiritually taxing. So what keeps you going on the day-to-day? -day? I think for me, like, a lot of what keeps me going um, is, like, just knowing that I want to create these spaces that may not exist in other places. Um, I'm very passionate about the work that I do. I'm very excited about the work that I do. And then I guess like on the self-care side of things, it's like making sure that I have things that keep me engaged in just like life. Um, whether that is, you know, I'm a 
after this, I'll go to my weekly like trivia group. That's like this random consortium of like lesbians and uh, like random church people and SMU people and like all these different groups that come together and just play trivia once a week. Um, and that just, you know, having those things that get you out of uh, identity-based work, like get you out of that mode every now and then, um, is super helpful. Um, and so like both the passion for the work, but also taking the time to make sure that I have avenues and places that aren't just work to hang and do things in. Absolutely. For sure. And like, I, I bet like folks listening to this, um, whether they're in grad school, new professionals, seasoned professionals, I think like continuing to reiterate and stress like the importance of finding an avenue to get away from work. Because as we all may have Absolutely. experienced, working in student affairs, you can legitimately commit your whole life to working because it just never ends. We're working with people, not robots. And mm -hmm. uh, I was actually, I was, you already had a question, but I was going to ask you, like, what have you found uh, to be fun and exciting outside of work? And that sounds like trivia is like probably one of many things that you engage in to kind of hopefully, you know, refill your, your cup and your energy to dive back into the work. Yeah. Yeah. And like, just in general, like, um, like me and a couple of friends run a camp for high school girls with disabilities in Michigan. Um, and like, it is that kind of, you know, not just college age stuff, but doing stuff with people who aren't in the college environment and people doing it in different ways. I think that in itself also brings certain joys. And like right now, I'm not doing disability work in general, like on an everyday basis. And so I think that brings me a lot of joy is like connecting with like identities that I don't see in my current work as much as mm. like the ones that I work with every day. Yeah, absolutely. For sure. Yeah. So thank you for sharing that. Now, um, with the with the kind of the work that that you're doing and have done and, and will continue to do, what are some challenges that you might have experienced, whether it's you as yourself working with your students or a culmination of both? I think one of the big things is that there just aren't that many people who understand it. Um, so some of it is like really trying to explain you know, what accommodations I need. Mm -hmm. um, so like I was at a um, presentation recently for ACPA and like they use super bright colors and those like mm -hmm. bright colors mm -hmm. like will move on like the screen when I look at them. And so like, it was like this really engaging presentation and I was really mm -hmm. enjoying it and it was LGBT related mm -hmm. and like, it was just like everything was moving and like I couldn't look at the slides. And so like I had to be like, oh, uh, like student affairs people like bright colors. Like I don't know what to do. This wouldn't be like a normal conversation as much, mm -hmm. I think, in other fields. Um, so like sometimes like it's like a really specific thing. Yeah. Um, and then like really trying to figure out like how do I describe accommodations? Um, what does diversity look like mm -hmm. um, in an institution? Is disability included? Is it not? Is that something that's valued in diversity work? Is it not? Um, is, is it seen more as like a transactional process of like, I need accommodations. Will you give this to me? Do I have to ask for them? Is this just a civil rights law? Mm -hmm, is mm -hmm. it, you know, there's like just so much like of like conceptual conversations that can affect the work that you do. 
Absolutely. And I imagine that there's a lot of like nuanced pieces that go into that. And while there might be some more clear cut responses and protocols, uh, I, I, I'm assuming that there are lots of times where, uh, especially when it comes to accommodations, that uh, is this considered reasonable? Is it realistic? Is it tangible? And like, do we have the resources to be able to provide that? So absolutely, for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now I'm going to uh, pass the baton over to my colleague, Spencer, to, to, to chat with you as well. Absolutely. Uh, so Val, I'm curious. Um, I, I think, I think we, we even in, in higher education student affairs have this problem of offloading the uh, offloading identity work and, um, and, uh, supporting uh, students of different identities to individuals that often hold those identities or uh, or professionals that hold those same identities or uh, professionals in specific offices that that um, serve as sort of space gathering spaces for students with those identities. And so I'm curious, how do you feel we can promote the the image and the um, the message that this work is for everybody in higher education and student affairs and and um, you know how how do we you know how do we dig in and 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 start that work of of making it everybody else's job um, in addition to those of us that work in specific identity based uh, uh, um, uh, fields like disability services or or an lgbtq office or, or whatnot i think well i think there's like kind of a both and to this question like i think with um especially with folks with disabilities it seems like there's a lot of closeted folks with disabilities within higher education and i think that being more open about who you are while at times scary can really help the students that you work with. Um, and that does not need to be in identity spaces. There's tons of people all over who will like come to you and be like, hey, I have blah, 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 blah. But like they would never be open and out about that with a student. Um, and then there's also, um, and I granted there's fear and scare and all that jazz. Um, and then I also think it's just like the knowledge and understanding of both how these identities intersect, what does it mean to have an invisible identity uh, at times, sometimes invisible, sometimes not. Um, and then also like, how do we ha have those conversations? And a lot of it is like real basic stuff um, is really, for me, it's a lot about being out and really talking with my colleagues about what it is. Um, so like, I'm really, I really have a lot of stuff with like, color contrast type thing. So um, a couple of my colleagues have mentioned like they're every time they print out like any handout, they're always thinking of things I've taught them. Um, or like just being conscious of, you know, being open to accommodating people or being willing to broach those discussions. I think a lot of um, conversations to a certain extent are not had because of fear, but also like, how do I articulate these questions about like, oh, do you have a disability? Or is that an okay question to ask? 
there's questions around that too, or like mm -hmm. I use my own self-disclosure to like out myself and then usually people out themselves to me. Um, so I think those, like all those different pieces can be very different if you're an ally, if you're a person with a disability or a person who's LGBT um, and how you do the work might look very differently. Um, it might just be very conscious to have like accommodations, let us know if you need anything, being conscious of like mentioning where the gender neutral bathrooms are or all gender restrooms are um, when you're presenting something. Both of those are like integrating um, structural diversity into the work that you do. And I don't think we talk about like when we build things like or we build programs, how we integrate um, the structure of diversity. We talk about like yeah. getting people into the room, but if the room isn't created in a space that people feel welcome and that can be for anything. Um, but I think disability and at times LGBT stuff is more clear with this, but really anything, right? And so sure. like, how do we do those? How do we build things that processes and procedures and stuff like that make sense for people of all different identities? Yeah, that's fascinating. Um, I guess sort of sort of the other thing that that I'm really curious about, um, and then I I've thought about myself having worked with um, students um, students that have self identified to me um, because of my work as an individual with a disability and also um, uh, and also uh, LGBTQ. Um, Particularly, I've noticed that um, that uh, I I feel like students that that hold both of those those identities navigate them in a different way than maybe an in, a student that has one one singular uh, of those identities or doesn't hold um, both uh, both an identity as an individual with a disability and uh, LGBTQ. And so I was curious to get your thoughts on that and how you feel, um, students, uh, particularly now in this, in this climate, um, in this political climate that we have, uh, in the United States right now, um, how, uh, you feel students navigate both of those identities together, uh, and how each of those influence each other. I think one of the things that like I notice most about like how those things kind of connect um, is probably like how coming out or disclosing looks like for different folks. Um, like I think working in this space, um, like the conversation is always coming out with a disability, um, whereas like um, you, like the term would probably be disclosure if you just had a disability um, and like which one came first, um, the disability or the LGBT identity in your comfortability at times or in your experience um, can change how you go through those processes. Um, I'm also very interested in how like other coming outs look um, specifically work with a fair amount of fear and um, disabled and people with disabilities who are also undocumented. And so like that also looks very different of like those three intersecting coming outs. Um, 
and like looking at what points coming out is valuable. I think also there are different conversations of like, um, oftentimes like I work with a fair amount of like high achieving LGBT students. And a lot of times they're seen as like, um, well, you know, if you just got a, you're a finalist for the Rhodes Scholar and you're LGBT and I come out to your parents and I say this, then, oh, well, like somehow sometimes the parents, like I had a parent say like, I want to continue bragging about you. So I guess it's okay. You're gay. Um, and so like, if you also have this other in quote problem to parent, like does that change what they see you as? Mm. Um, and I've had students have that problem of like, you just have this another issue. Mm -hmm. Um, and so like those, combos of like how do I disclose this and then this other thing is happening and somehow you know they continue some of the things that some of my students use as strategies to be you know the perfect kid gets problemed mm -hmm. like problem more problematic per se um and then how do I disclose this or what does mental health concerns look like? Or mm -hmm. then if we come into these conversations of um, mental illness and LGBT stuff, um, sometimes like it's a wake up call to the parents if they feel like, oh, me being horrible to you has caused you to have a mental illness, mm. then maybe I should be nicer to you. So maybe... I don't know if positive is the right word, but that creates a other uniqueness. Um, and there's just, just all these different like ways of thinking through how this might be for a lot of different types of students. That's fantastic. Thanks. Thank you for sharing that with us. So I want to pivot uh, real quickly. Um, and give you an opportunity uh, maybe explore a little bit about your PhD journey, um, particularly the process that you went through to find a program, um, what uh, really interested you in terms of how you were looking for it, what that process was like. I know, you know, um, a lot of our uh, listeners and whatnot um, certainly might have interest in pursuing a PhD program mm -hmm. uh, or looking at them and uh, are, would potentially be interested in hearing about how your search process went and, mm -hmm. and why you ultimately landed on, on uh, where you're going now. Okay. So like, I think for me, one of the big things is <clears throat> the first start of any any academic journey is to get retested for disability, which can be a lengthy and annoyingly large sum of money. Um, and so like this idea that um, every three or four years, your documentation gets outdated mm -hmm. um, as someone who continues education is very problematic. Um, 
And so the ability to then afford to do this takes longer periods of time. So the first thing is always to get your documentation all set, um, mm -hmm. to get that large packet of information that you can just be like, okay, this is so large, you can't deny this. Um, and that's always the first step. And so then it takes you a time to get that re-updated. Then you do try to make sure the GRE will accept it and then you do the GRE retesting. Um, and so a lot of it was really retesting and trying to learn a lot of things really quickly because it's been a long time since I was out of school and like thinking of like someone who already has trouble doing a lot of learning stuff to re-up your learning. Um, so I took a long time to do this. So I like it took me about two years in total to get to a place that I was ready to like start looking at programs and stuff like that. And then one of the best advices I was given is that you should always, um, it's a lot about the professor and that you should try to interview that person right away and try to get as much as you can to contact them and let them know you're interested in their program. Um, because and and you just learn things like I had uh, I was debating if I wanted to stay in higher ed there was someone who was doing disability and sexual assault somewhere else and I was like this is where the research is this is where I should go and when I reached out they were like oh we just had some random data about disability and sexual assault it's not something I'm interested in and so like that was super helpful because I was like mm -hmm. this is the place they actually do what I want to do uh -huh. um, and so like reaching out that professor, like I didn't even apply to that program because there was no point, right? Like, yeah. um, whereas like, you know, other places I was like, hey, I'm doing this work. Is this of interest to you? Or, you know, this is what you're doing that super interests me. Mm -hmm. um, and all the places where like I found connection were the places that I got into. Um, so that was something that I was always told, but I found that super, super important. Um, and I can't express that enough. Like that was the biggest thing that like you're always told, but yes, that's, that's what yeah. I found. Um, and then I think a lot of it for me was this idea of, I was told I wouldn't even graduate high school and here I am getting a PhD. Like what? Like, yeah. Absolutely. And like dealing with my own stuff with that I think is super important um, and like trying to figure out if there are other people with your identity that has um, like a PhD or like has those combo like mm -hmm. I still don't think I found someone um, who's not doing it in like some kind of science-y thing um, and so like that is very scary. Um, yeah. And so hopefully this is like a start of something very cool and I'm excited about it and nervous about it. And then like, it just was like, you know, all schools I think uh, that I've been to, eventually it's just a click. It's like, yep, this is where I'm supposed to be. Yeah. And that's how it was for Bowling Green. I was like, yep, this is where I'm supposed to be. This will be good. Hopefully, hopefully it will be good. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. I am I'm super excited for you. Uh, I I have to add. Um, 
as somebody that works in, in disability services, it's very disheartening and, and I completely agree with the problematic nature of documentation um, and, and, you know, when you're looking at how much that costs and then you're mm -hmm. looking at, uh, you know, potentially how, uh, you know, low SES students, you know, potentially can't get that documentation. Um, and I just have to put it out there, FYI, if the GRE is one thing, and the GRE definitely definitely has um, those those standards in place, and and or really any sort of standardized test has those standards in place, and it's a little disheartening, but unfortunately they can sort of do that. If any educational institution is is remotely putting a limit in terms of how new that documentation needs to be. And this is for every single listener that has a disability out there and, and is pursuing a PhD or a master's degree or another, or a bachelor's degree or, you know, any sort of higher education degree. If there's an institution that is putting a limit on that, um, on how new that documentation needs to be, they are not using the new ADA standards and they absolutely need to be. Uh, that documentation, it, it and there's a reason that it changed because m making it so that people have to have brand new documentation every five years or every three years or whatnot is is a financial limitation and there's and it's too much of a burden on people that have a disability mm. to continue to go get something when it is a permanent condition mm -hmm. and, it, and it and structures continue to. Um, to privilege people with certain abilities over others. And so those things will always exist, which is why those changes were there. So sorry, that I, that particular point gets me because there's still a lot of schools out there that are not following those guidelines. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I see it every single time I look at a website, I, like every single time and it bugs the hell out of me because as long as somebody has documentation at, that that you know it is is basically normed for an adult or whatnot they the school has to accept it you know right um and so i'm sorry that you had to go through that and and unfortunately that that system is still in place for the for for the gre and a lot of the standardized tests but uh no educational institution that is supported by federal funds should be uh forcing anything like that so uh, off my soapbox. Uh, <laughs> I mean, it's important to know. Mm -hmm. So, uh, with that said, um, we are so thankful that you were able to join us uh, today. Uh, we're um, incredibly, incredibly thankful, and this has been, I think, a, a fun conversation. I uh, do want to ask you if there's anything else that you want to share with us, uh, anything else we didn't get to. Hopes, dreams, aspirations. I think, like, for me, like, I'm just happy, like, this conversation is happening. Um, and then, like, the other thing I think is um, if I could challenge one thing in our profession is I think we look at hiring as, like, a marathon. Um, and that can be very difficult um, for a lot of people with disabilities. Um, so like thinking through, like, do interviews need to be all day or two day events, um, which can be very 
strained um, with a lot of disabilities. Um, and this can be in any type of student affairs um, position, but I think especially when you're looking at positions related to um, where you're like the one person office, I think there's a lot of expectations of what that person needs to be um, mm -hmm. and who you need to meet in a process um, mm -hmm. that can be problematic for people with disabilities. Yeah. Um, thank you for sharing that. Uh, how can people connect with you on social media, contact information, that sort of thing? Uh, so I'm on Facebook. I'm in, I have an Instagram neurodiverse images. Um, and then my email, um, probably the best way would be through my Gmail, which is val.marie.erwin, Erwin is with an E, E-R-W-I-N, at gmail.com. Perfect. Well, thank you, Val, uh, for being a guest, and um, we are so, so excited um, to have this platform so you can share your story and share all your wisdom and, and accomplishments with us, and we're uh, quite happy for you. So, Yeah, well, thank you. Yeah. Well, Wayne, I guess that's it. Absolutely. Well, thank yeah. you again, and we hope that folks are able to connect with us on our next episode. Absolutely. Thank you. Bye. Okay, bye.